John chapter 1, verse 12 is our text for this morning. Let's read that verse as we begin. John 1, verse 12. But as many as received him, to them he gave the authority, right, or power, to become the sons of God, even to those who believe on his name. For many years, as I have evangelized in Africa, I arrived here in 2004. And when I asked people, are you a Christian? They would commonly say, yes. And then I would ask, how do you know? How do you know that you are a Christian? And the most common answer by far without even any answer near to that, was, I pray. By far, not even close, that was the most common answer. The next close answer, you can guess, would be, I go to... The next most common answer was, I go to church. When I was in Elam, because of the influence of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church in South Africa, I would then sometimes hear, I have been baptized. I would commonly hear those answers. Sometimes I would hear, I live well, or I live for God. And very rarely I would hear, I believe in God. But over the last year or two years, maybe since I've come to Lutricart, I have begun to hear another answer. I have received Jesus as my personal Savior. And I want to ask you if you have ever received Jesus as your Savior. And then I want to ask, is that a good answer to the question? There are very few passages in the Bible that mention Receiving Jesus. Can you mention, can you name even one of them? Where does the Bible say receive Jesus? Yeah, in, in John 1, verse 12. And in Colossians 2, verse 6. Those are the only two undisputed places in the entire Bible that refer to receiving Jesus for salvation. Almost no one knows that Colossians 2 verse 6 says that. And almost no one knows John 1 verse 12 because I ask people, Oh, you've received Jesus. Where does the Bible tell you to do that? Because that's what I say to people. And if you say to me, I've received Jesus, I'll say, Oh, okay. Why? Where does the Bible tell you to do that? And my point behind asking that question is, Almost no one says, I have received Jesus 
because they were studying their Bible and they found John 1 verse 12 or they were studying their Bible and they found Colossians 2 verse 6. Almost no one was studying their Bible. Almost no one was listening to a preacher who said, I want to explain word by word like I'm about to do. John 1 verse 12. I'm going to explain John 1 verse 12 to you right now. And it's probably the first time ever. Yes, sir. John 14, verse 6. I'm going to explain that right now. I, I, uh, I love the doctrine of receiving Jesus. But there is a common misconception. So, if everyone received Jesus the way this verse talked about, wonderful. But I am concerned that people call themselves Christians and they are not. That people have received Jesus, but they have not. So I'm going to try to explain that right now. Thank you for that excellent uh, comment. Because there are actually many passages. Maybe someone says, Revelation 3 verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man opens the door, I will come into him. Isn't that receiving Jesus? John 6. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Isn't, coming, isn't that receiving Jesus? I would say, listen to the next 45 minutes. The first 18 verses of the book of John are a remarkable introduction to the book. Remember, this book, this book is written 50 to 60 years after Jesus rose from the dead. John is remembering now everything he saw when Jesus was living on this earth. And he's going to, in half a page of your Bible, summarize the entire person and work of Jesus Christ. Now that's impossible to do because he is God. He has no beginning and he has no end. But John's going to do that in half a page of the Bible. Summarize it. What an amazing passage of Scripture. And I want you to understand from this passage... What it means to receive Jesus. When you leave here today, I hope every one of you will receive Jesus or you will say, I'm glad, now I understand, I've done that before. But I am concerned that maybe someone would say, I had thought that I had done that, but I didn't know what it meant. Or maybe you'll say, oh, I understood, but I couldn't put it into words. And now you'll be able to put it into words. Before we start with the message, I've got to tell you. Receiving Jesus does not mean these five things. Number one, it does not mean to pray a prayer. When I was young, I grew up in a Baptist church that commonly would end its services by saying these words. I'm going to ask everyone, I'm not telling you to do this, I'm telling you the words they said when I was a child. I'm going to ask everyone to bow their heads and close their eyes. Bow your heads and close your eyes. Who here wants to receive Jesus? 
Who here wants to receive Jesus? Do you want to receive Jesus? Put up your hand today. Put up your hand. In fact, I was at one church that said, if you want to receive Jesus, put up your right hand. Because the book of Jonah says they didn't, the children didn't know their right hand from their left. So this particular pastor believed that when a child, when a child could understand his right hand, that's when a child could be saved. And so the, the pastor said, <clears throat> I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. If you want to receive Jesus, put up your hand. I grew up that way and I put up my hand many, many times. Not once or twice or three times. Many times. And then they would commonly say, yes, I see that hand. Yes, I see that hand. Thank you, you can put it down. And then he would say, everyone, eyes closed, eyes closed. If you want to receive Jesus, pray with me. And then they would give a prayer like, dear Jesus. And then they would say, say this word, these words in your heart. Dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And then it would pause. Please come into my heart. Please save me today. In Jesus' name, amen. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Christians around the room are praying. How many of you prayed that prayer today? Raise your hand if you prayed that prayer. And then people would raise their hands. I raised my hand, not once or twice. Because I really wanted to go to heaven. This verse does not teach that. If you think you are a Christian because you did what I just explained and what I did, that's not enough. Your credentials aren't endorsed. I don't believe you. You need more. And I'm not angry at you. I'm telling you this so that you won't be surprised when you get there. Years ago, I tried to go to Zimbabwe. And as I was going there, I took Caleb and Colin with Papanyiko Nyalungu from Elam Baptist Church. We wanted to go to Zimbabwe to visit the churches there. And as we got to the border, they turned us back because we had some of our papers. But they wanted a letter endorsed from the police with both parents' signatures in order for me to take my children across the border. I didn't realize all the things I needed. If I remember correctly, my wife even told me up front, I think you need all these things. It would not have been right for me to look at my wife and say, what are you talking about? You're always bothering me. I'm fine the way I am. And I'm just trying to tell you today, if you think you've received Jesus, but all you have done is put up your hand and prayed, that's not enough. Number two, going to church, insufficient. That does not mean that you have received Jesus. There are churches all around this country. Maybe they won't meet today. Maybe they're small enough and they still will meet. But there are churches all around this country that just because the people go there, they are thinking to themselves, oh, I'm a Christian. I receive Jesus, I go to church. Number three, it does not mean to be baptized. I'll still remember Mr. Kosa, the grandfather in Elam, when I built my house in Elam, my wife and I moved there before we had a baby. And Amy and I, back in the day when we didn't have all these kids, 
she would go everywhere with me and we went on evangelism together and we went to the house three houses away from the place where we built our house. And it was Mr. Kosa and his wife. He was an old man and he had been the, the principal of a school in Elam. And he said, wow, why are white people coming here? We've already had missionaries. We said, we're coming here to teach people how to be born again. And his wife said, do you mean kukuburiwa? Do you mean to be baptized? We said, no, we're not talking about baptism. We're talking about you give your sins to Christ and Christ gives his righteousness to you by faith. And I'll still remember, the, the woman said, do you mean to be baptized? I said, no, we give our sin to Christ on the cross and he gives us all of his perfect righteousness by faith alone. And the man then said, oh, these people will never get those details. Word for word, he said it in English. Now, I didn't believe him. What I thought was, that means you haven't gotten the details. He didn't get it. He didn't understand what it means to receive Jesus. And because of that, he thought, I've, I go to church. I've been baptized. Oh, you're teaching something else? No one will get that. Someone will. And maybe someone in this room today. Number four, it does not mean to believe in God. Receiving Jesus does not mean to believe in God. James 2.19 You believe that there is one God, you are doing well. But the devils also believe and tremble. The devils believe in God. But Jesus said in Matthew 25.41 Depart from me, cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Revelation chapter 20, the beast and the false prophet were thrown into the lake of fire. Three verses later it says, and the devil was thrown into the lake of fire where the beast and the false prophet are. The devil's going to the lake of fire, but he believes in God with all his heart. That's not enough. Believing in God is not enough. Receiving Jesus the way these other ideas of receiving Jesus. That's not enough. Living a good life is not enough. So what does it mean? It means two things. And I want to teach those to you this morning. Here's the message. All that was introduction. Here's the message this morning. What does it mean to receive Jesus? Well, where should we go to find the answer? We should go right to the verse. Right down into the verse. And let's see. Look at verse 12. But as many as received him. Who is that him? It's not God. It's Jesus. To those ones, the ones who received him, he gave something. Now, if you have the King James, it's going to say the word power. If you have the ESV or the NASB, it's going to say the word right. Some translations say the word authority. There are two Greek words for the word power. The one is exousias, and it means authority. For example, in Matthew 28, 18, Jesus said, 
all power is given to me. It's the word ecstasy. It's the word authority. Jesus has all the power or all the authority. He is the highest authority. And if he says, go into North Korea and preach the gospel, even though North Korea says, we don't want you, we're going to go to North Korea anyway. Even if the country says, we'll kill you, we're coming anyway. Even if they say, we don't want you, we're coming anyway, because our king has more authority than your king. It's the word authority. Same word here in verse 12. The ones who received Jesus were given something. They were given a kind of authority. They were given the right. Or if I can use this metaphor, they were given the surname. How does your child get into your car? Very freely. He doesn't stand there waiting for you to open the door. He just jumps in. He might even leave a mess in your car because he thinks it's his car. He feels like he has complete authority. Have you ever seen your child stand outside your gate and say, can I come in? He doesn't do that. He opens the gate. He walks right in. Unless you accidentally locked him out. Your child doesn't wait outside the door at home. He walks right in. What if your child shows up with some of his friends? The friends might stand outside because they're, it's not my, it's not, I don't have authority. Exact same idea. To the ones who received Christ, God gave a kind of authority, a surname, a passage, the password, the key to do something. They have the key or the authority to do what in verse 12? Look, look in verse 12. The authority to do what? Sidani? To become his children. What do we call it when you become a child? It's a kind of, it's a kind of introduction to the family. It's a kind of entrance into a family, isn't it, when you become a child? Look at verse 13. <clears throat> These ones who, who were born. These ones were born. They were born to become the children. How does a child enter a new family? By birth. Receiving Jesus means you have been given the permission. You've been given the authority, the right, the surname of God himself. Or you have been born again, verse 13. Do you see the word born in verse 13? They were born not by three things. You see the way I'm preaching today is biblical. Don't think receiving Jesus means these five things. It means this. That's what John does in verse 13. He says, don't ever think that you were born by the will of the flesh. Do you see that in verse 13? Don't think that your own choosing caused you to be born again. Number two, don't ever think that some man caused you to be born again. Don't think that it was a man who chose 
What caused you to be born again in verse 13? God. Point number one of the sermon. To be born, to receive Jesus, I'll just give you the answer, means to be born again. Born by God. You've got his surname now. Because that's happened to you. If that's what you mean by receiving Jesus, wonderful. But not many people mean that. I know because I ask them. If they say they've received Jesus, I say, oh, okay. What do you mean by that? What does it mean to receive Jesus? And I've never, not once, not one time, when I'm evangelizing, had a person say, oh, receiving Jesus means to be born again. Do you know what they say? You can go try yourself. Go ask people. I'll tell you what they say. They say, I pray. The same thing they were saying 15 years ago when I started evangelizing. So somehow they've learned some new words. They've learned, I receive Jesus, but they haven't changed the definition. In their mind, they still think, I pray, so I'm fine. Someone has done this. They've gone and taught them, pray, double shop. Prayer is not enough. John 1 verse 12 says, you've received Jesus if you've been given something. Given what? Authority, permission, power. Power to become a child. Verse 13, you've been born not by any man, but by who? Look in verse 13. They were not born of blood or by the will of the flesh or by the will of man. Doesn't that sound like what I described to you earlier when I said, the service is over, everyone bow their heads and close their eyes. If you want to receive Jesus, raise your hand. Doesn't that sound like the will of the flesh and the will of man? It sounds like a man who has to use his will. Um, um, okay. That's not what he's talking about in verse 13. He says, no, don't think that. I'm not talking about everyone who wants to go to heaven, put up your hand. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about being born by who? God. That's what I'm talking about. In our catechism that we are giving out to people, or if you've got 20 bucks, you can give it to us and help us. If you don't have it, just take it. Question 58 is this. What does it mean to be born again? What does it mean to be born again? Any kids, do you know the answer? Shilani? Oh, that's what does it mean to believe? I'm coming to that one in my next point. To be born again? Caleb? Oh, he had to look. To be born again means that God has given you new desires. Let me just make it very simple. This is not complex. It's wonderful, but it's not complex. To be born again means that God has given you new desires. 2 Corinthians 5.17. I'm saying it in song. I can't remember how it starts in English. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things are gone. The new things are here. 
that speaks about our heart's desires. That's what is made new. Your elbow isn't made new when you're born again. You don't get new ears. Some of you say, wow, my knees hurt. I've got arthritis. I'd love to have some new wrists. The new wrists are coming when Jesus comes back. That's not what's new right now. What's new, if you have really received Jesus, is a new heart. It's a new desire. It's a fountain inside your heart. Jesus says in John 7, If any man believes in me, out of his belly will flow rivers of living water. That means it's a new heart. It's a new fountain. It's a spring of life. You suddenly, before you loved money, but now it just doesn't grip you. It doesn't stick to you the same way. Before you loved sin or alcohol or fornication or or things of this world. Before you were terrified about dying. Before you thought about these things. But now those things just, I just, they're not... They're not so strong to me. Now there's this new desire. Now I actually see Jesus who, with your eyes, know with my spiritual eyes. Blessed are the pure in heart. They will see God. And to the ones who look for him, he will appear the second time without sin to salvation. Hebrews 9 verse 28. It's the ones who see Christ with their eyes and they find Matthew 13, 44. He is the treasure hidden in the field. Who for joy of the treasure, for excitement of the treasure, they sell everything they have in order to get the treasure. You see, that's the new bird. The kingdom of heaven is like a man walking through a field and he finds a treasure. And he's so excited about the treasure that he sells everything he possesses and he goes back and buys the field so that he can rightly and justly take that treasure. He's not sad that he lost his shoes and his watch and his car and his house. He might even lose his wife and his kids and his family. But he's got the treasure. And so he's satisfied. Shoeless, shirtless, houseless, computerless. But I've got the treasure. You don't have the treasure. I've got it. New desires. He finds joy in Christ. The very next parable is in Matthew 13, 45. That was Matthew 13, 44. The next verse is Matthew 13, 45. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant who's buying pearls. And he looks all over the world and finally he finds the most beautiful pearl. And he's got to liquidate his whole business. He sells his business. He closes the doors. He sells his house. He sells everything he has to get that one pearl. And you say... What's the use? You lost your business. You lost everything. He says, what's the use? I think this pearl is the most beautiful thing in the world. And I just want to have this this beautiful, valuable thing near me. That's what happens when a man truly receives the authority to become the son of God. When a man has received Jesus, he suddenly finds that his house really doesn't mean anything to him. His car is not very important. He finds that he cares about missions. He finds that he cares about evangelism. He finds that he likes going to the prayer meeting. Something he doesn't have to be told the prayer meeting on Thursday. He, he just wants to. In fact, if there's not a prayer meeting, he might even call and say, do you think we could start a prayer meeting? Why did he want to start the prayer meeting? New desires. He was born from God. Ask yourself, 
Do you have new desires? Do you have a new heart? Is there something in there that even if I don't tell you to read the Bible, you want to read the Bible because your heart tells you to read it? That's a pretty good indication of when you've become a Christian. When did you start reading the Bible every day without being told or reminded? You see, some people say, I became a Christian seven years ago. I became a Christian 25 years ago. Oh, I became a Christian long ago. Let me ask you this. Not when did you become a Christian. When did you start enjoying the Bible? You read it every day or every other day. You read it often. And you found there's so much in the Bible. That's probably a better mark of when you became a Christian. So maybe I shouldn't ask anymore. Have you believed in Jesus? When did you receive Jesus? Maybe I should ask, when did you start reading your Bible with joy? Because that's the kind of thing that shows when you were born again, when you were given new desires. If it happened 25 years ago, praise Jesus. But my hunch is that most people in this town know nothing about reading their Bible every day. And I've started asking. Now when I evangelize just at at game, if I'm going through the till, I'll give a tract and I'll say, where are you reading in your Bible? And commonly the person will say, oh, um, um, I'm not reading. Commonly. And then I'll say, oh, do you think of yourself as a Christian? Yes. Well, let me just encourage you, if you're a Christian, you have to read your Bible. And if you're not reading your Bible, I don't think you're a Christian. Could you say that at the till, at pick and pay? You could do that. Be bold. Be bold for their soul. Hi, where are you? Thanks. Here's the money. Thanks for the seat. Where are you reading your Bible? Oh, I'm reading in 1 John. Wonderful. Keep reading. Read the whole book from start to finish. Have a good day. Oh, I'm not reading. Okay. Do you think of yourself as a Christian? Yeah. Well, if if you're a Christian, you have to love the Bible. If you don't love the Bible, you're probably not a Christian. Have a good day. You can say that. And right there, we'll start to get to the root of things. Half of this town, more than half of this town, believes they are a Christian, and they're not. In fact, 80% of the country believes they're a Christian, and it's probably higher in the retreat cart. Because we don't have as much diversity. If you're in Joburg, maybe there's more people traveling from around the world. But here, it's a lot of people who probably consider themselves Christian. But if they're not born again, they're not Christian. And if you don't have new desires, you're not Christian. Let me turn it a different way before we move to the next point. I'll ask you this. If you have new desires, do you hate your sin? If you don't hate your sin, it's very difficult to believe that you have been born again. People who are born again hate their sin. They don't love their sin. They hate it. What about you? Are you still struggling today with the sin that you had five years ago? I know sin is difficult and we're going to fight with it. But when we're born again, we have new desires. Well, I said there's two points because there's two points in this verse. Look at verse 12. 
To receive him means he's given you authority to become his son. But then the verse goes on, it says something else. This is the second point of the message. What's the second point? Can anyone tell me? Bella? Believe in his name. You say, oh, pastor, I knew this. Right, I'm not teaching you anything. I'm not, I didn't invent this. Watch out for pastors who say, I'm going to tell you something no one else has told you. Watch out. If it's new, it's not true. And if it's true, it's probably not new. If it is new and true, it's probably just new to you. You see, God has been building his church, and the message I'm teaching today is not at all new. It's been preached for thousands of years by hundreds and millions of preachers around the world and godly Christians around the world. But it might be new to you because there's such false teaching around us. What does it mean to receive Jesus? Point number one, you must be born again or receive new desires. Point number two, you must believe in Christ. Let's take those at a time. Number one, believe. This passage connects believing and what? What's the other word early on in this verse? Believing in what? Una? And believing in? Receiving. Yeah, believe at the end of the verse. You can even circle them. Circle receive at the top and draw a line down to believe. These two are synonyms. What does it mean to receive Jesus? It means to believe in Jesus. If you have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have received him. Faith is passive. You see, when you receive, you don't do anything. You are the passive recipient. If I received a punch in my chin, I didn't punch, I was. If I receive a gift, I didn't give, I was given to. And that shows in the very, look, look in the verse. As many as received him, that's passive, to those ones he did something. What did he do to those people? He gives, they didn't give, they were given to. Receiving is passive. Believing is passive. Look again in our catechism, question 56. In the catechism, question 56. What does it mean to believe in Jesus? Now do you want to try? What does it mean to believe in Jesus, Lulani? Exactly right. What does it mean to believe in Jesus? Question 56. Answer. To believe in Jesus is to rest. That's passive. What are you doing when you're resting? Are you working when you're resting? Are you cutting the grass when you're resting? Are you planting a tree when you're resting? Are you making money when you're resting? You're not doing... Are you washing the dishes, cooking a meal, raising your children, preaching a sermon, reading your Bible... What are you doing when you're resting? You're passive. What does it mean to believe in Jesus? To believe in Jesus is to rest. Trust. What is trusting but an abandoning of yourself and a resting, a leaning, a depending on someone else and rely on his death in the place of sinners? 
What is faith? It's resting, trusting, and relying. Let me give you a great picture of resting. If I can find something strong enough. This table. What does it mean to... That's it, right there. That's resting. That's relying. If that table's moved, what's going to happen to me? I'm falling. I'm completely supported by that table. And I'm feeling now a little bit by my abs, too. I'm completely supported by that table. You think of the table? I'm done for. I'm going down. That's what it means. Faith is passive. Here's the problem. Many people in this town and around the world have imported a false definition, which is why in our theology class we're studying logic. Without good logic, you're going to go to hell. People have the idea that, oh, I believe in God. What does it mean to believe in God? I've been baptized. I go to church. Do you see the difference? They're not resting, trusting, and relying. They're saying, me, I go to church. I have been baptized. I read my Bible. I, it's the will of the flesh and the will of man. But what does John 1 tell us? You've got to receive. It must be given to you. John 1 verse 13, not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, not of the will of man, but of God. Belief is passive. It is a clinging to Christ. It is a resting in Christ. It is an acknowledgement that he does it. I am passive. It is the opposite of good works. Have you seen the two-chair illustration? Raise your hand if you've seen the two-chair illustration. All right. You need to have it memorized. So let me just do it for you right here. This chair. You know what? This is a different color. This can be clearly seen. This chair will be the chair of good works. What is this chair? Good works. This chair will illustrate good works. Okay? This is good works. Give me some examples of good works, Dorothy. Any good work? Going to church. Someone else. Una. Reading your Bible. Anything else? Praying. Helping the poor. Being baptized. Hiding. All that is good works, okay? And if I'm trusting in my good works, who's doing those good works? Me. So it's me. I'm the Savior. Don't talk about Muchis Wanda. Talk about me. Uh, my, don't talk about Jesus being Muchis. He is me. I'm the great Savior. I'm the one. I go to church. I, I, me, me. And ask them, are you a Christian? How do you know? And the first thing they'll say is, I go to church. I read my Bible. I live a good life. I follow the commandments. You see, what, what chair are they in? Good works, their own, their own effort, not of the will of the flesh. And then this side, what's this one? This is the blood of Christ. Jesus. So this side, if you're trusting, resting, and relying here, then you're converted, you're saved. But how many chairs are there? Cody, I'm going to embarrass you. How many chairs are there? How many, I'm sorry, how many positions are there? I see three. Does anyone know where the third position is?
child right now. No, you can pull the child. What happens? On the final day, that will be you falling into hell. You take that in your heart. Listen to that. That's not me. It's the voice of God speaking through this passage. If you're not entirely and completely resting, trusting, relying, and depending on the blood of Christ, you are lost. You have not received Jesus. You have switched it. You have bad logic, and your bad logic will send you to hell. The people who say they've received Jesus, if they're in the middle, it's not Christ alone. It's Christ plus. At this church, we are Christ alone. At all true churches, they are Christ alone. False churches are Christ plus, or just the works by themselves. It's really Jesus against all religions in the world. That's what it means to receive Jesus. It means, first of all, you've been born again. You've been given this authority. You've been given new desires. You're born a second time. Has that happened to you? That's God. And the second one is belief. But there's something I haven't explained here. Look in the verse. It's the last phrase of the verse. Is it enough to believe Is it enough to believe? No, it's not. Because the, the belief here is, is specific. It's, it's a certain kind of belief. What kind of belief is it in verse 12? It's a belief in the name of whom? Not God. Every African believes in God. Atheism is growing these days because of evolution. It's still not as big as the atheists say. Some around 2% of the whole of, of America. Of the whole world, it's less than 1%. The great majority of people in the world, the great majority of people in the world, believe in God. All the demons believe in God. Every single demon. You cannot find a demon who's an atheist. None of them are foolish enough to be atheists. Every demon believes in God. Most of the world believes in God. Almost every African. I've only met one African who claimed to be an atheist. Almost every African I've ever met believes in God. Belief in God is not enough. If someone says, I believe in God, do not think to yourself, oh, he's a Christian. And don't talk to me. Please do not say to me as your pastor, oh, this is my brother or my uncle. He believes in God. That will not comfort me. In fact, I'll think to myself, your brother or your uncle is not a Christian, and you probably are not a Christian. Okay? It's not belief in God that takes anyone to heaven. It's belief in what? Tell me the answer. Belief in? Exactly. God the Father did not die on the cross. It was God the Son who died on the cross. And it must be faith in His name. You see, there's no salvation in a general deity who didn't die for sinners. There's only salvation for the one who came down to earth, took on flesh, and died for sinners. That's the only one who saves. No one else saves. There are no other saviors. And isn't that what he tells us all through the Bible? In the book of Titus it says... 
to God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. The Savior is almost every time in the Bible called Jesus. Jesus is the Savior. So I'm so glad you're believing in God, but you're not believing in the Savior. Jesus is the Savior. What does it mean to believe in Jesus? It means, what does it mean to believe in Jesus? To believe in Jesus is to rest, trust, and rely on his death in the place of sinners. You see, I didn't stop there. I didn't say to believe in Jesus is to rest, trust, and and rely in God. No. You want a general church? Go somewhere else. General medicines will not save you from the sickness. It's the specific remedy of Christ's death on the cross. It must be a trusting and a resting and a relying and a depending on Christ if you would be saved. I am very concerned that no one in this church, no one who ever hears me, would ever think, well, I'm going to heaven because I believe in God. Oh, I've received Jesus because I've been baptized. I close with this. Mark 14, verse 65. If you you have a Bible, turn there to Mark 14, verse 65. Mark 14, verse And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to beat him and to say to him, prophesy. And the servants, now if you have a King James, it says, struck him. But does anyone have an NIV or an ESV or a NASB? Kilani, can you read the end of verse 65 and listen closely? And the guards did what? The guards received him. How did they receive him? With blows. The guards received him with blows. I am afraid that many people have received Jesus. In that way. Do you think those guards are going to heaven? They received Jesus, but they didn't love him. They didn't give themselves to him. They didn't obey him. They didn't follow his laws. They received him in a way. It's right there. And if you're wondering about the King James, there's two Greek manuscripts for this. In some uh, King James Bibles, they even put... The, the alternate reading in the side margin. Like I have side marginal readings in my Bible. There are two Greek. Do you have it in yours? Yeah. So there are two Greek readings here. So when the translators translated. They had to translate and decide if the word receive should be in there. Since then we have discovered many more manuscripts. And they all have the word receive. So probably that was in the original. But when the King James was translated in 1611. They didn't have all. They had some. And one of the manuscripts had receive. So I think the word receive is accurately in the text there. My point is this. 
You can receive Jesus the way these guards did. No real love in your heart. That's what the message is getting around to. Have you been born again? Do you have new desires? The way to test is not do you go to church, but have you left your sin? Have you ever wept over your sin? Are you resting, trusting, and relying in Him? Are you following Him? Do you love Him? Is the Bible sweet to you? If you say no to these things, you say, well, but I go to church, that's not enough. Anyone who believes in God can go to church. We're asking if you have a new heart, if you're a new person, if you're new made, if you're still the old one, that's not good enough. Test whether you have received Jesus by your new desires. Is Christ dominant in your thinking and your hopes and your prayers? May God make him so in our lives today. Let's close in prayer.